Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. This is Little Atoms, a radio show about ideas and culture with me, Podrick Reedy. Ece Temelkeren is an award-winning Turkish novelist and commentator. Her journalism has appeared in the New York Times, The Guardian, Der Spiegel and Frankfurter Allgemeine, and her novels include The Women Who Blew on Knots and The Time of Mute Swans. Ece Temelkeren, welcome to Little Atoms. Uh, we're talking today about your new book, How to Lose a Country. Um, this is a book about what the rest of the world, I guess, can learn from what your country, Turkey, has been through. And you start on the night of the coup in 2016, which... In, men, in, in an old way, was kind of um, Erdogan's greatest moment. But tell us what happened that night. Um, yeah, the book starts uh, me with me in my house um, and with all the you know airplanes running, jets, fighter jets running above us, and so on. Uh, in, yeah, it is. Uh, it's for the rest of the world. It's not about Turkey, in fact. Uh, but when you say for them to learn, it's a little bit. I think um, you know bruising for some people's pride <laughs> well it's been one week uh, since the book came out uh, more than a week now actually and uh, I've been doing events interviews and so on so I, I, I can feel that people uh, sometimes some of the people let's say feel like well what can we learn from Turkey that crazy country mm-hmm. I'm like this is Great Britain after all mm-hmm. Um But uh, I try to see through the political mess that we are going through globally. And I try to figure out the main logic of it, uh, because we in Turkey lost a lot of time by getting confused, hesitating, feeling appalled and astonished and so on and so forth. And finally, you know, it was too late sort of for us to understand what's going on, Mm -hmm. what was going on. So I wrote the book for other countries for Europe for European countries Britain uh, and United States Mm -hmm. so they don't lose the time they don't lose the energy Uh, because yeah the book starts with with that dark night and it seemed to us completely impossible uh, for such a night to happen Mm -hmm. and then it happened and you know one should imagine I think one should uh, think about like three years ago would it be possible to imagine Brexit would it be possible to imagine Trump 
or you know all these right-wing populists uh, popping out in you know popping up several countries so it wasn't possible for us to imagine uh, the night of the coup in 2016 mm-hmm. uh, on 15th of July but it happened and I think uh, when such violence takes place there is not much place for words anymore because words are too fragile for such violence so Um, I went away to Zagreb, I started living there, and I started writing this book. It took me two years to write, and I hope it tells something to those people who need some sort of clarity mm-hmm. amidst the political and moral confusion. Yeah. So, tracing things back to so the point of 2016, where there is there is the attempted coup in, in Turkey, and at, at that point... It's almost as if every, every you know paranoid fantasy of Erdogan has come true, and he's able to say, "Look, with that, I, I wasn't kidding." <laughs> the, the, yeah. The, yeah, whatever, whatever you want to call it, the Gulenets or whoever, and the army are, are, yeah. are against are against me, and by extension, against the people. Mm-hmm. Um, but you've been covering, you've been as a journalist, you've been covering uh, Turkish politics all your career, and, and you went to talk in the book about the 2002 election, and you're out in the provinces meeting people and. Yeah meeting the various representatives of different parties and at one point you're in, in a cafe speaking you know, to all the local politicians and at the back there's three men looking at you in a kind of surly yeah the real people yes they're, they're, <laughs> they're the real people but the, and exactly they're 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 so they're, they're very keen to say that they're not they're not like the politicians sitting talking to journalists they're the, the real exactly, people yeah. so who are these people and it, what strikes me as relevant and it's, it's something that comes across in the book is that you're meeting these people in the provinces this is so far away from from Istanbul where where normal politics takes place and you go back to your colleagues and you say we need to watch this mm-hmm. uh, but how do they present themselves at home? what kind of what what is it that they're trying to say is it makes them authentic as opposed to every other politician who is completely inauthentic yeah they were uh as they are in Britain or in France or in Germany, they were beyond politics, above politics, so mm-hmm. to speak. And they call themselves real people. And this happens in the United States as well. And uh, media, for instance, in the United States, as, as, in, uh, as well as in European countries, cannot know how to handle this situation. Okay, these are real people. So are we ta- out, out of touch with them? Uh, you know, uh, are we supposed to be like more humble? Are we supposed to be talking about them or let them speak, give the space to them and so on and so forth, which we went through, you know, similar questions we went through in Turkey. Mm-hmm. One of the reasons I, I wrote How to Lose a Country to win that time, you know, to erase that hesitation. Uh, real people is a new concept. Well, it's not a new concept, but it keep recurring sort of uh, throughout human history. There are always people who argue that, who claim that, you know, they are beyond and above politics. They are not dirty politicians and so on. Uh, And this time they're coming with the power of social media. They're coming with the power of lobbying companies and so on. Uh, And we still do not know how to handle this situation, I think, because the the idea that the word real people is so magical once it's uh, pronounced uh, it makes the one the other one kind of unreal so you know you now have to prove that you are real as well yeah and then 
the reference of being real people changes time to time. It is quite elusive. And then populist politics, right-wing populist politics especially, runs on this elusiveness. First, it's a class thing. It starts like a class thing or a provincial thing. Mm -hmm. You know, we are not the cosmopolitans. We are not going on the plane and going around the world. We are the true owners of this land. Uh, And then it becomes a class thing at some point. And then in Turkey, it was... uh, very much related to being Muslim. Mm -hmm. So all the other people, uh, all the cosmopolitans or elites, so to speak, they try to prove that they are Muslims too. And then it became something else. It became, you know, a a proud ignorance, a form of proud ignorance. If you're not ignorant enough, you're not real people. And then at the end, at the final stage, it became if you are truly completely obedient to the regime or not. Mm -hmm. So uh, I think uh, when, especially uh, our colleagues from media or intellectuals, academics, uh, should be really careful about this uh, because they tend to hesitate uh, in the name of political correctness uh, when talking about this real people issue. Uh, But That's why I wanted to see the main logic uh, through the confusion uh, that right-wing populism creates. Uh, when you hesitate, they take on the stage, and the next thing you know, you do, you feel is like you are out of place. You are you don't have a place there anymore in that discussion table, and it starts from provinces. In Turkey, it did like that, and I think in the United States, in European countries, it's like that. That's why Nigel Farage keeps talking about Dorset pubs and so on. But the irony there being, of course, I mean, you know, Farage, you mentioned, you know, rich man went to one of the country's most expensive schools in London. Donald Trump, very rich man, went to an Ivy League school from New York. Erdogan, not necessarily, not a rich man, but very certainly, you know, an Istanbul or not not some yokel farmer by any means, you know, a very, very urban metropolitan guy who has somehow kind of harnessed mm-hmm. this idea that, you know, he's yeah. from, you know, this, this Anatolian peasant. How, mm-hmm. how, 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 does, how does that stunt work? And how does it keep working? I think all these men, I'm like, in the book I told a lot about how they resemble each other, how they operate in the same way and so on. But uh, in the heart of the issue lies uh, the crisis of... Uh, Disintegration. We are in the age of disintegration, and I, I think people are panicking. Mm-hmm. And when people panic, and we do this on societal level and on personal level, uh, we go back to what we know best. So they want to go back to this promised greatness, yes. this you know nostalgia of greatness. And all these leaders, uh, all populist right-wing leaders, promise some sort of greatness. So yeah, people want to be great again. That's the thing. And there is a guy who really believes that there will be greatness if they hit the road with him. And people want to believe, you know, human is a strange matter. It always can be activated by hope Mm -hmm. and, you know, promises. There's the common theme, again, that goes through from Putin to Trump to Erdogan to 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 the whole Brexit campaign is is language of respect. Both of them, you must respect the leader, but you also must respect the leader because the leader is the the clarion of the people, yeah. so to speak. So if you disrespect Trump, you're disrespecting miners and steel workers in Pennsylvania somehow. 
but there's 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 also you know it's 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 gangsterish respect and it is tied up i think also the, the 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 resurgence of this kind of thing in a concept of revenge and you tell a great story in the book which i'm going to ask you to talk about, now about an, an ak you know crony you know who went to istanbul and was told that he had to be a member to get into a nightclub. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, this respect issue is very related to this greatness that I have been talking mm-hmm. about. Um, I think we have to realise that how much the pride of people is broken uh, through the last several decades, starting from 80s. I think neoliberal system has this perception of human being and it doesn't consider that human being does need uh, a meaning to live uh, and it's you know people needs uh, to be part of a bigger story and so on a neoliberal uh, neoliberal idea of human being is something like an animal who can operate with the fear of having less and desire to have more Mm -hmm. and I think we are seeing the crisis of that. That's why people respond to the promise of greatness. When you look at Turkey, when you look at Russia, United States, or any other European country, there's a pride issue. There's a broken pride there. Mm -hmm. That's why people are so outraged and they are on the streets. And that energy comes from that uh, righteous uh, anger, in fact. Uh, Mm -hmm. But unfortunately, it is organized and mobilized by wrong people, obviously. And that story about the guy, one of the real people uh, in Turkey, in Turkish provinces, that happened in 2002, I think. Um, he was a guy, you know, with a little business, and then obviously he wanted to go to Istanbul to one of these big clubs. Probably they, you know, they didn't take him in, and they said like, you know, you need a membership card or something. And when I was interviewing him, he said. You know, do do I really need a you know membership card to go into a discotheque or a club, whatever? And I said no. And he, I saw the rage in his face. And then on, after ten years, he was actually owning that club, and he turned that club into a place uh, that only people like him can enter. And those people who you know, left him out 10 years ago, were not let in anymore. So I think there is a revenge uh, and there is a pride, there is a promise of greatness and the basic need of human, of being considered, you know, as human being is, is there. I'm like, all these are all ir, uh, are in interplay, I think, mm-hmm. in, when we talk about rising right-wing populism. So the book goes on to discuss the idea of what you call terrorizing language, completely abandoning rationale, and that anything resembling a reasonable or logical argument is just cast aside. Um, how is this, how's this such a powerful tool? And how is it mastered? Well, you are already experiencing it in this country right now. Uh, all of a sudden, the giant, uh, you know, political uh, machine of Britain is reduced into two words: Brexit and you know, non-Brexit or whatever, anti-Brexit. Mm, or just 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 Brexit means Brexit. Exactly. Exactly. So. This is how you terrorize it. I mean, like, you know, uh, and people start thinking that this is politics, mm-hmm. you know, throwing words at each other and, you know, having a huge fight around one word. 
this is terrorizing. This is like cornering the entire human mind into one corner and creating anger and outrage out of it. Mm. Um, so diminishing the human mind and the giant concept of politics into this little box is terrorizing. It's kind of uh, mental imprisonment, in fact. Mm. I think you used the example of trying to set up an Aristotelian dialogue or Socratic dialogue, yes, but it, and then, yeah, it was just falls apart completely because... Yeah, there's a funny yeah, dialogue. Yeah, yeah Aristo talking to a right-wing populist. Uh, but um, I seriously wanted to decode, decipher, mm-hmm. uh, you know, ordinary conversation with a right-wing populist and how they dismantle the entire logic of conversation, mm-hmm. entire logic of uh, deduction, let's say. Uh, so how schizophrenic it is. And if you, I don't know, if you compare any kind of conversation with a populist uh, to that uh, Aristotelian, Aristo conversation in the book, I think you'll see many uh, similarities because it's the same code over and over again. It's the same logic over and over again. Um, That's why I I, I keep saying we have to see through the confusion because going into such a dialogue is exhausting for a sane person. Mm -hmm. Uh, You do not only get paralyzed, but also it is uh, it's making you angry and you lose your mind, sort of. Uh, and how long can you do it anyway? Uh, so we have to take a step back and see what we are going through as the critics of right-wing populism and what uh, how we are responding to the things going around us and to such conversations there's a big you know debate it has been going on uh, in britain in you know european countries and in the united states how much of a space should we give them yeah yeah that is and you know and that became an ethical question uh, and we are self-searching, soul-searching. We are, you know, self-beating about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, in order to understand what really is going on, if they're giving the space, I think we have to see what they are doing when they are giving the sp- given the space uh, and how they are operating in that space. That's why I try to decipher the, you know, main logic of right-wing populism in, in the book. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com work. Shopify.com work. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, Right. For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. 
When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I think there, there, there's a point in the book where you mention that you know in the early days of of, of the AK being power in Turkey, they they tried to court you as a, a potentially friendly voice in the media and, and many other people. Oh yeah, yeah. 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 <laughs> how, how did that how did that <laughs> go down? That kind of blew up, but yeah. Uh, well, one thinks that these things, you know, buying out uh, the journalist or buying out the intellectual mm. happens in a very sophisticated way, like mm. uh, like I don't know, Second World War movies. Or so. It doesn't happen like that. It's, it's completely banal. Uh, and I was actually offended by the banality of it <laughs> as well. Like I was expecting more. Uh, they just said, you know, uh, write good things about us and then you'll have a better future. And then, of course, I was outraged and I, you know, knocked on the tables and said, like, how dare you? How dare you? Uh, and then, you know, I saw how they, they do their impact, how to do that. And, you know, here I am living in Zagreb. <laughs> to cut this sh- yeah. story very very short but yeah. does, I mean I, I, Turkey is a kind of odd example because eventually they did just you know they, they just shut down all the media they didn't like but but I think there's also a sense you know there is and we see here in, in certain newspapers have just gone yeah, you know, insanely kind of chasing after this, you know, un- unbidden almost trying to look like they're in touch with this um, this zephyr kind of floating through but but there's also there's also the element you know, that they feel they don't need to engage and you know, no one no one in UKIP is going to spend a lot of time trying to get a piece in the Guardian explaining their case. No one no one seems to be trying to convince anyone before and it comes back to I think what you're saying with the with the dialogue, the Aristotelian dialogue about yeah, it's not about you know a tradition a dialogue should be reaching towards a conclusion, whereas what they want is sides. Mm-hmm. That that's what everything is set out to, to force you to pick a side. Uh, I don't want to cross my limit and uh, make you know uh, a lot of uh, comments about British politics and the particularities of it. But I have to ask the question then to mm-hmm. you: Do they really need it? I mean, like they already shaped the entire politics, uh, you know, uh, since two years. Uh, we're talking about UKIP mm. and Nigel Farage. They are, you know, their ideas are already 
in yeah. circulation and they are actually you know shaping and leading the way shaping the politics and leading the political path mm. so they don't really need to you well, know would barely... publish a piece in guardian yeah. because <laughs> boris johnson published pieces in, <laughs> in, in several newspapers or there are some many mm. you know as well you know mm. writes things so uh i do think that they already did their job and they must be happy about yeah. it <laughs> and they can they don't care yeah but there, there is always a sense that that any populist must must you know must be under attack from the establishment all the time and this is something where you can see yeah you know, even in the past year the direct line from from turkey to from to to washington since london it's a, so the, 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 the people in london you know people like farage and and boris johnson and of course trump have started very seriously talking about the con- the, the concept of the deep state which which very, as a political concept is 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 we entirely turkish origin <laughs> yes we imagined yes. and I, it's so funny for me to see books now called like deep state and you know what it's so funny 10 years ago i was trying to write piece you know i, I when i was writing pieces for foreign media for English media I was trying to uh, explain them what deep state is and they wouldn't understand and now they're writing their own books about deep state <laughs> which is so funny like you know uh, well I wish things would turn out differently but obviously uh, they want to learn from us from Turkey and <laughs> yeah they're good at it the, the the funny part of this story one of the funny parts of this story well it's not that funny but we can still laugh at it you know what happens in the United States and Britain is far faster than yep. what happened in Turkey. Mm-hmm. It took us 15 years to get exhausted and we were the first experiment. So it was really difficult for me and people like me to explain what's happening in Turkey to Europeans. Mm-hmm. They were in love with Recep Tayyip Erdogan and AKP party. Uh, and then we were trying to explain them something else is happening we cannot really put our finger on it but it's really really dangerous and then they were saying no this is democracy the you know the reality of turkey is coming out now unfortunately tables are turned and now you know i have to tell them okay uh, you left us alone but i am not leaving you alone because we have we are together mm-hmm. in this Shit. <laughs> <laughs> Just so brief, briefly about, you know, what is happening in Turkey? Right what, now? What, what do we have to look forward to? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I don't think that will, everything yeah. is going to happen in the same way. That would be too crude. But uh, what is happening emotionally among people is exactly the same. Mm-hmm. That astonishment, that, you know, paralyzation and f- the feeling of, is this still my country? Am I out of touch with everything or do I have to leave this country now and so on? You know, Europe is like musical chairs right now. Everybody is trying to change places. You know, British people are queuing up in embassies to get European Union passports. Uh, French people do not know what to do. Americans are, you know, trying, some of them are planning to leave the country and so on. Uh, so what's ha- in that sense, uh, I know what they are going through. Funny story, uh, I had the first event in Frontline Club mm-hmm. uh, and there was one guy from the audience who voted leave in the referendum, in Brexit referendum. Uh, so <laughs> he said proudly, well, it's f- easy to understand United States, but Great Britain, you know, you cannot understand Great Britain. It's complicated. 
uh, and you shouldn't be talking about Great Britain, da da da. And then I said, I know I shouldn't be, but I know how you feel. For years, British and American intellectuals and journalists came to, came to my country and mm-hmm. simplified everything for me. And I know how you feel, and I'm afraid the tables are turned. <laughs> and I do really know how you feel. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So we're we're recording this with you know less than fifty days going on um, before you know Britain supposedly officially leaves the EU, but who can say? Uh, we've no no idea what the deal is going to be. We're still going backwards and forwards, you know, arguing over. I don't I think the vast majority of people aren't even sure what we're arguing yeah. about anymore. There's, there's, there's something you describe in, in your book about the old um, the Ottoman tax collector coming across the, 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 the village <laughs> yeah. in the dancing phase. Yeah, dancing you Explain phase. that concept and, and I guess I wonder how, yeah. how close we are to it. Yeah, when, when you say in Turkey dan- we are at the dancing phase, they would know the story so they would laugh anyway. That's the, the dancing phase is, I think, Britain is close to that phase as well, a little bit, you know, or they're going to come closer as 29th of March gets closer. Okay, the story goes like this. Ottoman Sultan is, you know, cruel and he's raising up taxes constantly and the villagers are hungry. And each time the tax collector goes to the village, uh, they cry, they beg, don't raise the taxes and so on. And each time they cry and, you know, the story goes on. And at the final stage, the tax collector goes to the village and he sees that the entire village is dancing and then he runs back to the sultan uh, sultan and he says we have to stop this they're at the dancing phase (laughs) (laughs) so yeah you know there comes a phase uh, where you feel numb and the only you know thing you feel like is enjoying the ride Hmm. and i know this from beirut as well i was in beirut after israeli attack uh, in 2006 uh, and I traveled to the Israeli border. Uh, people were, you know, uh, Red Cross was burying the dead bodies. And when they gave a break, they were dancing mm-hmm. and singing. And I thought this was insane. And in a different way, uh, on a more sophisticated way, I think several countries right now is experiencing the same thing. Mm-hmm. They are burying their hopes about, you know, democracy or a better future. And they're dancing on their on the graves, basically. Mm. Cheery. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, but we went, way, we, went, a- we went from, we went from, yeah, you just, and put some of those most eloquent, beautifully written pieces in the book are about the arc from kind of, particularly 2013 with Gezi and the kind of, we've gone from the, the carnival of two, 2011 to 2013. Yeah. And, you know, you predate that, you know, to the resistant, the globalised resistant type mm. thing and that kind of thing. How, how did we get from there, that kind of, Joyous kind of expression of, of you know, a common a common purpose for want of a better phrase to this this bleak kind of death dance we're in now. <laughs> well, um, I have to say something. This book is not depressive. Uh, and no, no, it's not. No, seriously, not. And I don't want to depress people. And because I I do believe that we can solve this, we can get out of this confusion. They were suppressed. Mm-hmm. People in Gizi and, you know, in Cairo, in Tahrir and several other places, they were suppressed. And some of them were, you know, swallowed by the conventional uh, politics, like mm-hmm. in Spain and so on. But I think there's a difference. It, it was, you know, it, that one came out of anger, too. 
But we celebrated of being human there in every square of the world. But this anger that we are seeing right now, the anger of, so to speak, real people, is a different angle, uh, anger. Uh, and as far as I can see, there is one main difference in between two masses. Gezi, Tahrir, all those squares, we're talking about human dignity. Mm-hmm. Whereas the angry masses of right-wing populism, they're talking about pride. Mm. And these are, although it seems they are you know, close to each other, pride and dignity, they are so far away from each other. And <clears throat> I think when you are really defeated and when you really lose the hope of having dignity, you hold on to your pride as the last chance. And unfortunately, we are there. I'm like, I wish those those movements, Gezi, you know, Tahrir or Seattle, you know, yeah. wh- whatever happened in the United States, I wish they were taken seriously because if they were taken seriously, uh, if they were considered as, uh, you know, citizens of the world, first class citizens of the world, those, demo- those you know, resistance mo- activists and so on, we could have ended up in a different place. But, you know, the conventional politics sort of blocked that energy and now we have a different mess. And unfortunately, it's going, you know, ironically, it is now this mass of real people is threatening the establishment. Mm-hmm. So, you know, what do we what do we do now? <laughs> I'll put <laughs> I you on the spot love there. This question. <laughs> I love this question. Okay, take a deep breath. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, seriously, take a deep breath. And you don't have to be angry. Mm-hmm. You don't have to feel anything. Uh, this might sound heartless or stone-hearted to many, but by feeling too much, you cannot change anything in politics. You have to understand it. And understanding is not a solo performance. We have to do it together. And as we start uh, this global conversation about what to do, uh, the answer will come from that collective. I am very sure, 100% sure of it, uh, because um, this rising right-wing populism cannot be defeated in only one country. It should be a supranational movement. Thank you. Thank you, Patrick. How to Lose a Country by Atreta Malkrin is published by Fourth Estate and available now. This episode of Little Atoms was presented by me, Podrick Reedy, and edited by Sky Redman. Little Atoms is supported by 8.9up and hosted by Acast. If you enjoyed the show, please do subscribe and rate us on iTunes, and even tell a friend. And remember to check out littleatoms.com for a full archive. Thank you for listening.